I mentioned last week that I was hoping for an epiphany to occur that would inform my sermon today about epiphany. That, alas, did not happen, or at least not in any way that would seem terribly impressive in the retelling. But then again, I'm not sure that epiphanies are meant to be terribly impressive in the retelling. An epiphany, I have come to believe, is less a discovery of unique insights or hidden meanings and more a sudden realization of what is right in front of me. Less road to Damascus, enlightenment, and more blinding flash of the obvious. Now the word epiphany has specific usage in referring to the Christian holiday which commemorates the arrival of the wise men to offer their gifts and homage to the baby Jesus. And it can sometimes refer more generally to an appearance or manifestation, especially of a divine being. But culturally speaking, if we speak of lowercase epiphanies that commonly occur for folks like you and me, they are described in the third entry of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as 1. A usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. 2. An intuitive grasp of reality through something such as an event, usually simple and striking. 3. An illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure. As in, I just had an epiphany, something simple and striking. I have not had any recent epiphanies, but I have had an old song going through my head all week as I pondered epiphanies. It was written and sung by Donovan. Remember Donovan? first released in 1967. I urge you to find it and listen, though with one word of caution. It is an earworm, and I take no responsibility if it sticks in your head long past the point you may wish. As earworms go, you could do much worse than Donovan. It's called There is a Mountain, and Donovan sings, and I won't do it justice, but... First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. It was many years later that I ran across the material that seems to have inspired these lyrics. Alan Watts used it in his book, The Way of Zen. According to the famous saying of Ching Guan, Watts writes, Before I had studied Zen for 30 years, I saw mountains as mountains and waters as waters. When I arrived at a more intimate knowledge, I came to the point where I saw that mountains are not mountains and waters are not waters. But now that I have got its very substance, I am at rest. For it's just that I see mountains once again as mountains 
and waters once again as waters. First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. There is something about this that speaks to me of epiphany, that all too uncommon feeling of seeing or experiencing things as they are. And I don't want to presume to explain Zen teachings. I have a feeling that would be frowned upon. But for me, I have to wonder if that first time, first there is a mountain, if I am actually seeing it, or if I am telling myself that I am seeing it, because I am here, and the mountain is there, and my vision is not impaired, so of course I see it. But do I? And then I may engage in spiritual exploration and intellectual pursuits and analysis and practice and pulling things apart so that I may grasp how things work and question and doubt and reason and figure. And in these abstractions, the mountain itself may disappear. The waters may disappear, replaced by the onslaught of speculations and intimations that I may entertain about them and about the nature of reality and my place in the world, but that if I persist, if I stay honest, if I don't fall in love with my own thinking, that all of this search for truth and meaning may prepare me to actually see mountains once again as mountains and waters once again as waters. Epiphany. This experience is not reserved for Zen masters. James Joyce in the readings relates epiphany to a sudden spiritual manifestation that allows us to focus in a particular way. That focus allowing us to see and recognize things as they are. It is not so much a unique mystical vision as a sharpening of our normal everyday vision, a clearing of our vision, that allows us to see not something beyond reality, but what is really there. His character, Stephen, tells his friend that the clock that they passed each day was capable of producing an epiphany. His friend questioned the inscrutable dial of the clock with his no less inscrutable countenance. Yes, said Stephen, I will pass it time after time, allude to it, refer to it, catch a glimpse of it, but it is only an item in the catalog of the city's street furniture. Then, all at once, I see it, and I know at once what it is. Epiphany. First, there is a clock. There it is, after all. Both he and his friend are looking at it. Then there is no clock. It becomes a something that he alludes to and refers to and catches a glimpse of, but really only as an item in the catalog of the city's street furniture. Then there is a clock. All at once I see it, and I know at once what it is. Epiphany. The moment the focus is reached, Joyce writes, the object is epiphanized. <laughs> I love that word epiphanized. 
as simple and direct as they sound, these blinding flashes of the obvious, there is a mountain, there is a clock, they are not experiences that can be reliably reproduced by force of will, nor are they experiences that should be taken for granted. They are precious moments. Leading poet Galway Cannell to write, Whatever happens, whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. Whatever happens, whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. That is someone in search of epiphany. Because you see, in everyday life, my imagination can get me into trouble. I imagine that I see what's around me because I happen to have the power of sight and everything is right there to be seen. I imagine that I am experiencing this present moment because my body happens to be here in my conceptual understanding of the present time. I imagine that my life's meaning must be hidden and difficult rather than plainly evident because I am already aware of all that is plainly evident, which is why I call it plainly evident, right? <laughs> but those moments come along when I realize how distracted and abstract my understanding has been, when I can see again, or is it the first time, the mountain, the clock, the leaf, the face, and they are epiphanized. When I get a small taste of what is and realize that whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that. But that. Imagine my glimpses at that clock as the gropings of a spiritual eye which seeks to adjust its vision to an exact focus, says Joyce's character, Stephen. The moment the focus is reached, the object is epiphanized. It is just in this epiphany that I find the supreme quality of beauty. And while you may call the experience that Admiral Richard Byrd explains as mystical, Listen again to these descriptions. I paused to listen to the silence. My breath crystallized as it passed my cheeks, drifted on a breeze gentler than a whisper. My frozen breath hung like a cloud overhead. The day was dying. The night was being born, but with great peace. Here were the imponderable processes and forces of the cosmos, harmonious and soundless. The interpretations that follow begin with the precise description of what is in those moments. As he describes the gentle rhythm that arises from the silence, he writes, It was enough to catch that rhythm, momentarily to be myself a part of it. And that seems to be a part of epiphany too, that in recognizing the reality of what is, we are included in that awareness. Poet Mary Oliver captures this feeling of epiphany in her poem Wild Geese. 
Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So whereas once I imagined seeing what I was not really seeing and experiencing what I was not actually experiencing, now I have come full circle through epiphany and my imagination is set free to consider what I make of being here as part of what is. Bird grabs hold of that opportunity to write, In that instant I could feel no doubt of humanity's oneness with the universe. The conviction came that that rhythm too was too orderly, too harmonious, too perfect to be a product of blind chance, that therefore there must be purpose in the whole and that humanity was part of that whole and not an accidental offshoot. It was a feeling that transcended reason. The universe was a cosmos, not a chaos. Humans were as rightfully a part of that cosmos as were the day and night. The world offers itself to your imagination. Bryn's work today reminds me of the times when I have really noticed color. I mean, really. When the color of a flower or a bird or a dress or a painting or a photo or a sky was epiphanized. And then to ponder what a color sounds like. The world offers itself to your imagination. And what was our first hymn about but epiphany? The sun at high noon, the stars in dark space, the light of the moon on each upturned face, the high clouds, the rain clouds, the lark song on high. We gaze up in wonder above to the sky. The glad joys that heal the tears in our eyes, the longings we feel, the light of surprise, our night dreams, our daydreams, our thought ranging wide. We live with a whole world of wonder inside. And for our second hymn, well, it strikes me that even when I am lucky enough to experience an epiphany, I can all too easily feel compelled to blow right past it. And realizing that is good. There are things that I must do. I must attend to one thing or another, I say. There will be time, sometime, someday to reflect on this. To grab on to this epiphany. Or it will happen again. And so it is a moment that, like a dream which is so vivid upon waking, quickly disappears amid the practical preparations for a normal day. 
Joyce, however, believed that epiphanies should be recorded with extreme care, seeing that they are the most delicate and evanescent of moments. We should treasure them. We should not take them for granted, nor assume that they will come when we call. Now, our next hymn has a specific context as an African-American spiritual. From all I can gather, there is not specific information about how this particular song came to be or how it was used, but it is not unlikely that within its spiritual message it may have carried practical information related to the Underground Railroad, for instance. There's a verse that says, Ain't but one train on this track runs to heaven and right back. I preface with that only to say that I don't mean to ignore or obscure this history in relating why this song came to mind for me this week. But for me, the chorus reminded me of the importance of honoring epiphanies when they happen. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Just as Joyce describes the preparations for an epiphany as the gropings of a spiritual eye which seeks to adjust its vision to an exact focus, prayer, for me, can refer to a special sort of focus, an intentional attention that is not the same as, but is certainly consistent with the appreciation of epiphanies. Every time I experience epiphany, I will pray. I will take note. I will not rush past in my hurry to get on with things. I will honor that most delicate and evanescent of moments. And if I'm not singing Donovan, I may just be singing this next hymn. Please join in singing every time I feel the Spirit. 